0: This is A Wee Bit of Everything, the podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there, and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience, who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad, so be sure to check them out on Twitter
1: at PremExperience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything.
0: Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything where we are joined by psychotherapist Kirsty Giles. Kirsty is on tonight to chat to us about all things stress and the actual science behind stress and how it actually affects our brains.
1: Yeah, we're really forward to having Kirsty on. Um, She's got years of experience working with families and uh, young people uh, on on how to manage stress and how to navigate the the, the difficulties that we, we sometimes face as human beings. So as Lewis said, we're going to talk about strategies to manage it. And I think she's going to talk us through a guided visualization strategy that she uses with her clients. So without further ado, we'll get her on to the wee bit of everything podcast. Right Custer, welcome to the wee bit of everything podcast. Uh, thanks very much for coming on tonight. How's, how's your day been so far?
2: Yeah, good. It's been really good, thanks. It was very sun- sunny, so it was nice to get out the sunshine for a change.
1: I know it's a lot colder though, isn't it? That's one thing. The last couple of yeah, days is I had to raise the
2: car this morning,
1: which I haven't done for a while. I, I know I was the same. I need um, to get a scraper for my Christmas, I think. <laughs> 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 a Christmas, you need it, now. <laughs> you? know, <laughs> See, I'm saving money here, <laughs> Right, I so well I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about your kind of role as a psychotherapist and the work you've you've been doing with young people and families. Um, so just to kick us off, would you be able to give us a brief rundown on your Sort of professional career to date?
2: Yeah, no problem. Um, so I studied psychology at Stirling Uni uh, and I had a real keen interest in child development and social psychology. So that idea of why do humans behave the way they do? Um, mm. And I found all that really fascinating. And I graduated and I moved to New Zealand for two years because I'm big into the outdoors. And uh, I thought I wanted to be a speech and language therapist, did a bit of that out there, didn't really enjoy it. So I came back and I started working in children's charities and I specialised in domestic abuse and coercive control. And I loved that work. I loved uh, working with, primarily it was women who were victims, so women and children that had experienced that kind of thing in relationships uh, and were very, very resilient and, and were recovering from it. So that was, I guess, my first um, input into the area of violence, which is where I now work uh, full-time. So worked in children's charities and then I moved in to be a consultant. So I ran training, uh, in particular, focusing on trauma. So what we now know as ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Yep. So <clears throat> really became really interested in why people become violent either to themselves or to other people and wanting to understand that in order to try and prevent it. So got a job at the Scottish Violence Reduction Unit and that's um, a unit set up by the Scottish Government and the Scottish Police. And our job is to reduce violence across Scotland using the public health approach. So trying to understand violence like a disease that can spread through a family and, and trying to look at well, where does it come from and why do people end up doing that kind of thing in order to try and prevent it because we're certainly not going to punish our way out of it mm-hmm. um, and when I was working in the children's charity I sort of fell into psychotherapy I just did a course and loved it mm-hmm. and realized that you could become a psychotherapist I didn't really know that that existed I certainly didn't hear it from the careers advisor at school or uni mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, no, it's
1: not something you hear a lot of, actually, no. No, but I, I, I think. think I think it would be something I would definitely like to do right. if I wasn't a PE teacher. probably my kind of second role. Well, would I, I, what, what would you, Lewis? Uh, what would your def- uh, second
0: role be? My second role, I don't, I'm not too sure, I've never really had a thought about that, but I think it would be something that's fascinating, because I do, like you said, Kirsty, I really um, find it interesting about, like, why we do the things that we do, and how we behave and all that, I think it's really interesting to find out the kind of, the science behind it, and what actually influences our behaviour. Yeah,
1: definitely.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a thing that anybody that you speak to, people, everybody always seems dead interested in it, because I guess it's a, it's a really personal thing, like, mm-hmm. Um, I often think that people wait to go to therapy a bit late they wait till things are really difficult yeah. um, and the best time to go tends to be when you start you know seeing a change in yourself or something becoming a bit more difficult because then for me I've I've got a lot to work with because you're maybe not depressed yet or you're not suffering from anxiety yet but it might get to that if you don't seek help.
0: Mm-hmm. I think um, maybe when I was younger like I I didn't have the awareness about, like, the things that I was doing or the behaviours that I was maybe communicating to other people or that. But see, as I've got into, like, maybe, like, my mid-twenties and stuff, like, I feel like I've been a bit more conscious of, like, things, how I would act in social situations and behaviours that I might do, like, um, I don't know if it's, like, harmful behaviours or, like, eating and stuff like that. Just, like, really thinking about it and having that wee bit more self-awareness, which I don't think you have when you're, maybe, like, going through high school.
2: No, and nobody talks to you about it. You know? Yeah, you're not aware of it, you're not educated on it. No, oh. no, it's a big bugbear of mine that we don't have, and, and I mean, schools are getting better now, but I think even from primary school, we should be speaking to young people about stress and worries and, you know, uh, things that might become quite big and difficult for them, because we just, we just assume that parents are doing it, or we assume that young people will learn somewhere else, but I think the school get a big responsibility there.
1: Is that, is that quite a hard part about your job when you see certain things that are obviously quite, not scary to deal with, but they must be quite tough to deal with in terms of like you having to help them out? It can be quite yeah, emot- <laughs> emotional is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the, I guess the hardest part of my job is, um, especially dealing with children and young people, is you want to take them all home a lot of the time um, yes. with some of the things that you hear. But what's incredible is the capacity for people to build their resilience and to be able to take some of the stuff on that they learn in therapy and apply it um, and, and then it's a real privilege to watch people change their life you know it's, um, mm-hmm. it's the best job in the world if you can do it and you can manage to switch off because mm-hmm. there's a lot of burnout in, in my career.
1: Mm-hmm. So so have you heard, have you heard of the, the mentors in uh, violence uh, prevention project yeah,
2: yeah, that's going to run
1: around the schools? I know my school's kind of uh, undertaking that programme this year and training up senior pupils in the school mm-hmm. um, and then they're training the kind of younger, educating the kind of younger kids in the school about violence and why it's not the right, the right option. Is it yeah. similar work to that then that you do?
2: Yeah, so um, the VRU uh, used to run MVP before Education Scotland took it on, so a lot of the people that I still work with sort of um, were at the beginning stages of MVP Yep. Um, so I got trained up in it when I joined the VRU, I love it, I think it's a brilliant model, um, I think actually what would be really interesting is to take the MVP, Mentors in Violence Prevention and also make sure that you've got um, an element of like resilience and trauma-informed and stress reduction as part of it because mm-hmm. um, I think that this is bigger than violence with young people, I think we have to start helping young people to take care of themselves and, and mm-hmm. like speak kinder to themselves in their own head
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a big thing um
0: i guess my um kind of question and the kind of main question of the podcast then is that we kind of want to find out what actually is stress then what's the kind of science behind it and how does it affect our brains
2: so for me there's lots of different people that say different things but the way Mm -hmm. that i would explain it whether i was working with a a five-year-old or a 95 year old is it's your body's reaction to feeling under pressure or threatened So stress is an emotion and a feeling that comes out when your body feels like something bad's going to happen or has happened. Um, And there's three different types of stress. There's acute, episodic, and chronic. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So acute um, can happen every day. Um, Things like lose your car keys. I've not sent that email. I haven't finished that essay. I've had a fight with my partner. Um, The symptoms for that don't tend to last too long, which means that they don't become um, really damaging to your body. Episodic stress would be maybe you're more worried about something on a a more daily basis or you feel overburdened or you've got too much on. Maybe you've got too Mm. much things going on in school or too many things going on at home. And that can lead to quite serious health problems, but if it 's captured early it, it can it can really um, not be as bad and chronic stress is what we would kind of term toxic stress so it 's a kind of constant feeling you know if somebody was to check the cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone, they would be really high in your in your body um, that 's consistent it 's persistent, and it can very quickly lead to quite difficult health problems and Chronic stress can lead to autoimmune diseases, it can have massive impacts on um, your body's ability to fight the disease or viruses, so you find very stressed people are quite unwell quite a lot. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and A lot of people don't necessarily see the links between, oh, I've, I've a really stressful life and I can't sleep or I'm not eating and um, you know I've got maybe irritable bowel syndrome for example. So it can cause
0: things like that in terms of inflammation in your gut and all that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah yeah, massively so and I think we're only learning now the science behind what stress does. I think um, the research is still very much ongoing but uh, one of the first things a lot of the GP will say to you when you go to them is how stressed are you? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So we we need to start recognising it as, as a bigger player in our overall health
0: so see in terms of like the things that you say like when maybe stress is your body's reaction to when you feel threatened by something but see in terms of like threatened like say for example like people can become like stressed in like a, a one-to-one social interaction with somebody or if they feel a wee bit awkward or something like that what does what's the kind of thinking behind that then like if you're, it's not like a, a physical like a danger type threat what is the, the threat there is it, um,
2: it it would be a perceived danger, so when right, a, okay yeah, so I guess it's quite an individual experience. So if I'm working with someone that's got social anxiety, for example, yeah. someone that does really struggle eh, in a social setting, or they've got an event coming up, or they're public speaking for something,
0: mm-hmm.
2: eh, their body and brain reacts like they are threatened, like there's a bear in the room. Right, got that, you. That's what your body does. Your your body goes into a state whereby you think. There's, you know, there's a big bear in here and I'm gonna be attacked. So your heart rate gets really fast, your blood pressure rises, you get very sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's kind of physiological reactions can be quite different. Some people get butterflies in their tummy, some people get headaches. So what's happening is your your brain has perceived that there is a threat here and it's started to put you into the threat response. So even mm-hmm. though maybe to you and me, it doesn't necessarily suffer with that. We, we just go into a room and there's loads of people and it doesn't feel worrying. But someone with social anxiety genuinely their body will respond like there is a bear in that room
0: so your brain can't physically determine like or distinguish the difference between it then is that okay yeah
2: now? and it tends to be you know from previous experiences so maybe at a young oh. age had a really bad experience um with you know public speaking or at an event and it can be quite a a sort of like a PTSD response where they've just felt very stressed about it and it's became a, a big part of the way their brain works when it comes to socialising. Um, other things like generalised anxiety disorder, some people uh, don't like going out of the house for example because they think that something terrible will happen when they leave the house.
1: So is that, so see, see the kind of social anxiety side of it in terms of walking into a room and they feel threatened, is that like the judgment of other people? Would that be and then, and then like, how would you break that cycle then? If it is like something that's happened maybe in the past, is that a uh, tricky so thing?
2: For for social anxiety, if, if if you're working in a therapeutic setting, you're looking at exposure therapy. So, unfortunately, for people with anxiety, the best type of therapy a lot of the time can be making them behave in the way that they're so so afraid of in a very small baby step way. Because what you want is to re you want to retrace the brain pattern that says this is. I Have to be scared here. So, if you speak to somebody with social anxiety, they might say, Everybody's looking at me, everybody hates me, and um, somebody's going to push me over. So, they'll have these, you know, very real thoughts to them, but to us, to it would just be, uh, I guess, they might sound a bit silly. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. for me, I would be working on exposing that person in a really safe way to um, maybe doing like visualization to visualize being in a room maybe with two people, then five people. Yep. Um, and what you want to do is, is keep grounding them the whole time, so that you're you're changing their body's response to that visual. Yeah. So you know, because their natural reaction and their go-to, and their body's going to be flooded with fear.
1: And it's just about, I think it's consistently doing that then, and over a course of quite a long period of time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. like retracing what the brain thinks yeah. is scary. Um, mm-hmm. and and it can be, you know, it can be a difficult type of therapy because you know, they might stand up and do something and people might laugh and all of a sudden you're
1: taking 10 steps back. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's quite unpredictable. suppose. How
0: do you, how do you like, identify them whether it's a genuine, like, anxiety? So, see for example, if I'm, like, I suppose everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but most people to a certain degree are quite nervous of standing up and maybe speaking in front of someone or doing public speaking. How do you know the, kind of, the difference between someone who's, like, genuinely, like, suffering from like a social anxiety from that and someone that's maybe just like get a healthy bit of anxiety about it do you know what I mean by that
2: yeah yeah no totally so we would use what we call the DSM-5 so it's a diagnostic statistic manual for, uh-huh. for for disorders or, or, or um, symptoms of disorders so if I was working with somebody I'm, I'm not uh, a psychiatrist so I wouldn't diagnose I would maybe yeah. say think you might have a wee bit of social anxiety. So we would be looking at the symptoms of, of what the anxiety causes. So if it was just, well, sometimes I don't go to a party or sometimes I refuse to do public speaking in one of my classes, what I would be looking for is the consistent um, patterns of behaviour that impact your life in quite a negative way. Then it would become more, I guess, um, applicable to say that they've got social anxiety. So there's there's particular symptoms, and with social anxiety, you can have lack of sleep, you can lose your appetite, you can, um, your friendships can break down, your relationship with your flatmates or your partner. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of constantly looking at what are the consequences of the behaviour, and if they're high and they're and they're really challenging in, in someone's life, then it's not just a a, a, a common worry, it's not just acute stress. Yeah, it's probably an anxiety disorder. You can imagine
0: something that could consume like your life as well, isn't it? Like if constantly thinking next to like the next thing that you need to do, where it's involves socialising or speaking in front of crowds.
1: Yeah,
0: that would really change your behaviour.
2: Yeah, and also change your coping strategies. So a lot of people would drink more, drink more alcohol. Yeah, um, some people would take drugs, or so they'll find something that might soothe the symptoms momentarily. Um, But obviously we know the consequences of of drinking too much or taking drugs. So it's trying to get a balance of, well, what we would call that is self-soothing. So, you know, taking something that helps in the moment, but doesn't help in the long term.
0: Yeah. Do you mean to cope with that certain situation
1: that you are? All right, got you. So, Chris, to see from like an education setting, um, if there's any pupils listening to the podcast just now, or teachers who support pupils with stress problems. Um, What would be your advice um, for anyone listening who have to deal with these kind of issues day to day within within schools and how to to best manage it or cope with stress?
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, you want the school to be as supportive as possible in the early stages because we see a lot of young people now that maybe have acute stress or maybe even episodic stress, but it hasn't become chronic stress uh, because they have a really supportive environment. So the more supportive the school can be, the more nurturing. And I work with a lot of schools that focus a lot more on health and wellbeing in terms mm-hmm. of you know the pillars of education. Because if we don't get health and wellbeing right, we can forget learning. Yeah. Uh, no. You can't learn when your brain's in, in, in stress or anxiety. It's so, um,
1: the most think, important part of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, so we need to see stress as um, a big coping response to sometimes things that young people can hide really well so stress in the family and difficulties in their intimate or social relationships and 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 I guess see past the behavior so the school would be good for the school to recognize or even have a space you know I really I know they used to have kind of nurture bases but it felt like the nurture bases were for Children that were really struggling, um, you know, with their behaviour because of trauma or um, adverse childhood experiences. But yeah. in general, we should have a space in schools where people that are feeling stressed, and they should have them where they've got, you know, um, lots of plants and they've got lots of nice books and it's quite a calm, quiet space. There's maybe some instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, your environment has a massive impact on whether your stress increases or decreases.
1: Yeah, so kind of looking at the environment and um, trying, I suppose like a safe space that they could go to then and chat yeah. with a member of staff. What well, I'm,
0: I'm pretty sure I've heard something about um, having like a like a puppy room where there's like puppies or like ah, dogs yeah. come in it to cope. I think I watched that on one of the educating series they brought in like loads of dogs yeah. and the school to deal with. Uh, dogs, dog. I think that might be what it's called to like yeah. you kind know, of. That would certainly um, help me cope with stress anyway. Oh
2: yeah, I mean who doesn't love a puppy?
1: Yeah, I know. And, and oh, no, I've seen a dog. video of his dog uh, kissing his face the other night on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday cuddles was it? You yeah, say? that was uh, it. That was that was reducing my stress. That was... <laughs> well, it does. I mean, the science is there. It's, that is what works.
2: So if you've uh, got pets,
1: yeah, keep them around you. Certainly works for me anyway. Yeah, no, no. know. Um, I've definitely heard schools done have done that. Um, certain days of the month that the, the a dog comes in and yeah. So, uh, so any any other sort of approaches in other than the kind of environment and seeing beyond the environment would there be any more
2: stuff think, that you
1: could do one to one with them. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think what I find really interesting is that we so we put a lot of um, resources into children and young people when they're at school which i think is really important and it can be really pivotal to their life but if you want to really change stress and if you want to make a difference to people's anxiety a lot of the time you have to do a whole family approach because whatever is going on at home mm-hmm. um, whatever work we do with children nine till three or four when they're at school if we then hand them back to a really stressed household yep. Um, the work can be really undone overnight, and then you get them back in the morning and they're, they're stressed again. And so, for me, not enough schools are doing the family approach. So, mm-hmm. how do you? The, I think the best thing you can do if the young person's got a good relationship with parents is teach the parents how to deal with stress. Because a lot of the stress that I see with young people and children in therapy comes directly from the parents.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's a big thing like, try to involve family, yeah. the family learning side of it. Yeah. So have you, have, you, have you worked with families before in, that, in kind of that, that kind of instance?
2: Yeah, I mean, if I was working with a young person, I would do kind of three or four sessions one to one. And then I would absolutely say I wanted a family session as long as the young person was happy with that. If the young mm-hmm. person wasn't for any reason, then we wouldn't. But for me, if um, I'm going to change things in 12 sessions or eight sessions, I want everybody in the family to be learning you know what stress is in this family what are our roles within the family and and how do we I guess listen to each other better and and deal with each other better and and learn the psychology of and you know, relationships because we don't we're not taught that stuff yeah so I think learning that we can start to recognize when someone is getting stressed and help each other as opposed to becoming this thing where someone becomes a victim and then the persecutor and. And all of a sudden, you've just got a household full of people that don't necessarily seem to like each other. Mm
1: -hmm. I suppose it's down to each kind of family's individual situation, but have you got any, like, top strategies or top approaches that you would use with during a family session or a one-to-one session?
2: So a lot of the time, I would use what I would call the three R's. So it's a a theory based on attachment. And uh, what it, I guess, says is that 33% of the time, in any relationship, whether that's romantic or family or friendships, we're in relate. 33% of the time, we're in rupture, and 33% of the time, we're supposed to be in repair. But what we're particularly awful at is repair. So, if there's any kind of conflict, or there's just sort of difficulties in a family unit, or even in a relationship, because I work with a lot of young people, and they have difficulties in their relationships, we go from relate to rupture. So you're, have, you're, not, you're fine, you're having a cup of tea or a beer or whatever you're doing. And then somebody says something, you don't like it, you go into rupture. We tend to bounce from relate to rupture to relate. And what I mean by that is that you have a fight with somebody or you fight with your parent and you storm off and then maybe an hour later, somebody says, do you want a cup of tea? And mm-hmm. that, right. that that's the level to a level of repair that we get to that is not repair that is back to relate Mm. so if you don't repair a rupture Mm -hmm. you know you leave a bit of space you definitely don't try and repair it straight away when there's been a fight or conflict or stress you give each other a bit of time to regulate and you know go for a walk or do whatever it is you do to make yourself feel better and then you come back and somebody's brave enough to say can we have a bit of a chat about what happened there like and when you're in Repair with someone, you come from a place of I. So I think, I feel, I would like. Because what we tend to do is we go back into you said, you made me, you decided, and all mm-hmm. of people get really defensive. So mm-hmm. I teach families how to do a true repair. So sitting down after you've regulated and then saying, this is what happened for me there. And I got that wrong. That's the bit that I shouldn't have said, or that's the bit that I, you know, I, I should have dealt with better. So if we can if we can teach society to repair things instead of going right back into relate, I think we'd have less divorces. I think we'd have less parental and child conflict. Um, I think we have a massive problem doing repair in this in this country.
0: Yeah. That's, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? It's almost like you're putting a, a plaster over it every time, and then just going back to like everything's hunky dory. But it's not but I think that's something you could really teach, like for friendships and that as well in school and. Um, so I feel like no, that would—that's probably happens an awful lot in school as I suppose well. I would, I
1: suppose that would potentially help uh, prevent it from getting to a violent stage. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why it leads to the violence as well.
2: Absolutely, and everybody's feelings are so heard. And come from a point of eye, you give everybody a turn to say, "Well, I, I felt, and I thought." And then all of a sudden, you're communicating as opposed to conflict. You know, you—is that kind of like a
0: restorative approach? Then is that looking? That, no.
2: yeah, it's like restorative practice but i guess we would use restorative practice when things get um to an extreme level so right, okay got I'm, you i'm always looking at the prevention of that so even even before a conflict happens i want i want couples and young people and parents to be thinking how do i do repair
0: even mm-hmm. before it
2: happens what, what does repair look like in this house
0: so um, they're basically just t- taking accountability for mm-hmm. for your side of things basically
2: yeah, and also apologising. Yeah, that's it. That. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's about being able to and being able to um, hear "I'm sorry" because we mm-hmm. say those words and they don't really mean anything, because you then go on to do the behaviour again and again, and and within repair, what you're wanting to hear is what we're going to do different next time. Mm-hmm. What what do we change here? Because this is about behaviour change. What do we change here so that this doesn't happen again? Um, because we we often say sorry or oh you know that 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 my bad and it's like but then we're just gonna have the same fight next week you
1: know yeah, yeah it's not sincere um, no no I don't mean it I think I think that does happen a lot in schools actually even with teachers and pupils relationships can sometimes break down and um, you know a lot of um, teachers would prefer an apology but sometimes the way it's delivered maybe it isn't from a it's maybe done too soon as well after the stressful situation maybe like later on once you said. I, I think, think even kind of regulating the behaviour first. Then. I think
0: even recognizing when we're in the wrong as well. It's not. Do you know
1: what I mean? No, te- adult.
0: I think that's helpful too. Yeah,
2: yeah. Teachers don't often do repair. So it's like kind of, um, "I'm big and you, small. I'm right, and you're wrong." Mm-hmm. Uh, and and nobody in the history of the world has ever calmed down when you said "calm down."
0: Aye. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, so it seemed in terms of the, we can kind I of spoke briefly about it before we kind of started recording, but it was a, a visualisation strategy that you, you kind of alluded to um, on how to kind of deal with stress. You able to Maybe talk us through that because it's something that we kind of, don't know how well we teach at Clark, but it's something that we use within certificated PE in terms of sport and performance side of things um, to help improve performance and maybe manage anxieties. Yeah,
1: yeah you were saying you were you just say calm down, calm down that, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> it like should...
0: Yeah in capital letters on the board as well
2: <laughs> Yeah yeah bold and underlined
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, us, that's us done
2: <coughs> Yeah no I can totally talk you through that I guess um, if you were willing participants then it would be helpful if you were happy to engage in it as I did it Yeah um, go for it Just so that you can sort of feel what it's like to to, to do it Um, And I guess a caveat to that is this doesn't work for everybody. So if someone's experienced um, quite a lot of trauma in their life or uh, they've had some quite big difficulties happen to them, a lot of people don't like closing their eyes. A lot of people don't like to um, be in a room where somebody's speaking and they can't see. So whenever you're using this, just make sure that everybody in the room is comfortable with that because you can keep your eyes opened. Um, it just doesn't necessarily work as well. So um, if we do it, I guess, just letting people know that at that point, they don't have to do it because for some mm. people it's not, it's not that calming if they've experienced something really big in their life that was quite negative.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: So um, it takes about, I guess, kind of three or four minutes. Um, and the first thing that I would ask you to do, as I do everybody, is just to ground yourself. And we do that by making sure our feet are on the floor. Um, yeah, sure. um you know, our hands are quite comfortable leaning on our legs, or we're just sitting in a really comfortable but upright position, so we're not likely to fall asleep because that can happen as well. Um, and then actually to take a big deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And then do another one. You should feel your chest rise and fall, and your shoulders raise and then relax. And then if you just let your breathing back to normal for whatever normal is to you and if you're comfortable to close your eyes. So I'd like you to think of a very happy memory. This could be a memory that you're alone in or maybe you're with people or you're with a pet. I'd like you to visualize that memory, visualize where you are, who's there, and how you feel. And I'd like you to think, just inside your head, you don't have to say it out loud, but think of five things in that memory that you can see. Anything that you can see, I'd like you to put that on your list until you have five of them. And next, I'd like you to think about four things that you can feel. This could be emotions. If you're outside, it could be the wind on your face. It could be the chair underneath you. In that memory, think of four things that you can feel. And then I want you to think of three things And that memory that you could touch. If you're outside, is there anything that you could put your hands on? Can you feel where you are? And then I want you to think of two things that you can hear. Might be someone speaking. Might just be your breath. Maybe something outside burns. Two things that you can hear. And then I want you to think of one thing that you might be able to smell. So if you're outside, anything that you can smell. But if you're inside, you can remember anything that you can smell. And I just want you to spend the next minute inside that memory, using all your senses. And now I'd like you to just start very gently moving your fingers and your toes. Feel the chair underneath you. Feel your feet on the ground. And whenever you're ready, just bring yourself back into the room. And open your eyes.
1: I, was- I feel very I was- chill with it. I was getting better. like goosebumps all the way down my back. <laughs> <laughs> on German. That yeah, one. yeah that, was, that was really good. I was, um, <laughs> my, my,
0: I'll share my memory. I was thinking about um when I was scuba diving when I was away on holiday. But the thing is, I had my mask on so I couldn't smell anything. <laughs> You've be careful
2: as well. You can't do too much with your are in your life. I'm like that.
0: I can kind of, yeah. I kinda of breathe in through my nose, but no, that was, that was an amazing that
2: was, because I I do diving as well and it's there's it's such a sensual thing
0: diving. It's, a, uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's
2: really great. That
0: was that was literally my first like that my first time doing it and um I, I, hardly the, the guy was like he had to link arms with me because I wasn't allowed to go down and do it myself properly. So he's like taking me about showing me like, the turtles and things like that. It was brilliant. And <laughs> um, but what age
1: were you then? My age was that? Wait, is where you when you done it? Like, that memory was it? When you were really young. 20, Twenty-five. All right. Recent, uh, uh, yeah.
2: The great thing about diving is that you use your breathing as your buoyancy. So if, yeah. you to, if you ever want to practice like meditative breathing, the best way to do it is to go diving. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, as you as you breathe in, you rise up, and as you breathe down, you. Yeah, you go down. Yeah. Okay? So um. It's yeah.
1: interesting because it, I, was, I was thinking about a time like a proper extroverted <laughs> event in a, in a stadium. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, right, so it was fifty thousand people there and my dad was next to me and it was like a, like a song was on at the end of the game. And we're all like celebrating, jumping up and down. Under the water, I was just trying to think of something that would... We- Chill me out. No, 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 it's just interesting, but the the difference, the difference is what what we thought about there.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and some people, sometimes you need to give them a wee minute, because if you're working with people, you think, oh, I don't know how many really happy, lovely memories you've got, so sometimes you use, you know, to talk them through, I only said something like, there might be people there, there might be a pet, but you might have to say things like, you know, it might be at school, it might not be at school, it might be in your granny's house, so... I yeah. would do that when I kind of know somebody and I, and I could maybe even help them find... Yeah, prompt
0: that. them to... I guess sometimes it's hard to actually find, like pinpoint a, a memory or... You can have the other thing as well where you've got loads of maybe you just have to maybe like... Oh, a perfect one,
2: yeah. Single out
1: yeah. one memory, but... But the,
2: so, so the whole
1: point of doing... I like, guess oh, yeah, I was going to ask
2: you there. Yeah, well it uses all your senses, so so to, to remove yourself from stress in terms of like your negative thought or your body's reaction to a stressful event, you want to you wanna quickly remove that uh, ongoing vicious cycle that happens. And when you close your eyes and you breathe, you come back into your body. And then I guess what it's doing is is tailoring to every single sense that you have. So some people are really visual. So so seeing the five things are great. Some people work much better with audio. So
1: mm-hmm. that's
2: why you go through all the senses, because it, it caters to everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, some people need to touch things in order to feel grounded so you're saying right and you could touch your dad or you could you know you're jumping about yeah. and high five somebody mm-hmm. um, and, and sometimes you can't touch anything because you're on your own but you can certainly think of three things you could touch so you're trying to make sure that every learning style is catered for.
1: Yeah there's was actually one of the five things I've seen Lewis was you because you were another stand. No <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's the pleasure. No, because that day I actually waved over to him. So yeah, you know, that was that, was, then. that was hilarious. <laughs> 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 no, it's funny. I, I think I just enjoying sharing it with everybody there in that moment. Absolutely,
2: mm-hmm. and that's the thing, isn't it? Like, even even now that we're talking about this stuff, you're both smiling and you seem more relaxed. And we mm-hmm. we often in life um, we don't celebrate successes very often. Yeah. We, we get up, we get through the day, we yeah. think at the end of the day we've not done enough or we've not, you know, succeeded enough. And we, we don't often sit down and think, you know, right at this moment I'm going to think of something that made me really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, we binge on Netflix and we, you know, check social media and these are all things that massively impact our stress. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but there's loads of happy memories and places that we can go in our head that make us feel really calm and, and happy.
0: It's actually just, taking, it's, it's just making the conscious effort to do it though, isn't it? Because it's too it's too easy just to try and distract yourself with everything that you've got and that almost kind of keeps you yeah. at a
1: level state, doesn't it? And then it's, do you uh, think that's important? Why it's uh, like guided think that helps kind of focus because yeah. you're talking through it. Yeah, well,
2: you... I guess yeah. I, I think that it's really helpful to begin with, and then if you do mm-hmm. it a couple of times, you start to do it on your own. And yeah. Like, I... That's the right five four three two one, so it's quite easy to remember. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what way you do. I could have said five things you can touch, four things you can feel. It's it's just so that every sense all of a sudden becomes alive. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't need to remember it verbatim. It's just that you breathe, you close your eyes, and you think of something that makes you really happy. Um, And you make sure that you're in it for about three minutes because we can we can go remember that gig that was brilliant, and then it's away.
0: Yeah.
2: Like I I I want you to be there again.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, see, into I suppose that you did mention it at the start, like it's important that you when you're doing it, you're actually taking it seriously, almost because, like, I feel like if when we're doing it in in school, for example, doing like a visualization approach to um, maybe help control anxiety a little bit when they're in in the game and doing it maybe before a performance, like, see when you're doing that with a class of like fourth years, they don't necessarily take it the most serious when you're getting them to lie down, and so it's probably not as effective but i think that's, well, that's not as a full
2: the, class but i guess yeah. in a small group and i think that it's more effective when you again when you look at the three R's, it's far more effective when you've got a relationship with someone so huh. uh, you know you wouldn't stand up and do it in front of a class of 30 because five of them might not like you or might not respect you and they will automatically go to discredit you yeah whereas, You know, if you can do it with a smaller group who you know have experienced quite a lot of stress and they're there because they want to deal with it, hopefully they'll be more engaged Mm. as a kind of strategy. And people do that at the beginning of every therapy session. They just ground somebody straight away so that, you know, if they've got anxiety even about coming to therapy, you've you've grounded them and you've made them Mm. feel like, you know, they're in a safe environment. And we often use it as well if we're talking about something really difficult, I would then use that at the end, just to make sure that at the end of therapy, there was you know, you, you you left remembering something really lovely in your life.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a good a good point to uh, kind of finish the main part of the the episode, Kirsty. Thanks very much for your insights, your time, and the kind of strategies you've used over the the years. We really appreciate your time tonight.
2: No, you're fine.
1: Absolutely. Um, Lewis, what are we doing with this quick fire round? To put, to
0: put in, uh... Aye, I think it would be rude not to, is not it? It's, I think um, this would be the only one we've maybe not done it with, so I think we'll we'll, we'll fire away, Kirsty. So, well, I, quick... I think this
1: is genuinely, like, we always say we, this is a guest on the spot, but this is genuinely the guest on the spot for the first time yeah, in 81 <laughs> <in A1> episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, so three quick questions, three off-the-cuff answers, so you ready?
2: Yep.
0: Okay, number one. If you could have a giant billboard anywhere or in your hometown, what would it say on it?
2: It would say, you speak most to yourself in your whole life. Please be kind.
0: I love that. Brilliant. Number two, which books or people have had the biggest influence on your life?
2: Uh, a book I just finished called The Midnight Library about every alternative life you could have had had you changed one thing about your life.
0: So every, sorry, what was that? Every... So if
2: you one, yeah, if you if you um, changed one thing about your life, like you got on that train and you didn't get on that one, your life uh, is an alternative path. Mm, it's so, so the book sick. is about all the alternative paths this girl had, and she goes back and relives them to see which one she liked best. That oh, is that
0: was fascinating. What was it so the um, mid-
2: the Midnight Library? It's very good.
0: Brilliant. Um, and number three, then what would be your top three tips from your experience to help? Maybe somebody struggling with maybe anxieties or leading a really stressful life to kinda of help them manage that?
2: Um, listen to yourself, reach out to your friends and quite simply you're already amazing. <laughs>
0: Brilliant, love that That rounds us off nicely then for this week's episode of the podcast So Kirsty, thank you so much for giving up your time tonight To come on and chat to the both of us We really enjoyed it You're welcome Thanks for your time Kirsty Well, that brings us to the takeaway messages for episode 82, Clark, I think it is. I know we said maybe episode 81, but it's episode 82 because I forgot to upload yesterday's episode, which was 81, <laughs> so I'll get that uploaded tonight, Um we'll keep this one for next week. But anyway, takeaway messages, what is your takeaway message from tonight's episode with Kirsty? Um,
1: my takeaway message from tonight, from Kirsty, would be um, that she gave advice towards the end of the episode, and it was more about... Things that we can do on our own. It wasn't like a, a coaching thing that she, she does. It was more like celebrating our successes from the day before or, or that day. She said that we often like binge watching Netflix, um, or scrolling social media to feel to feel not important, but to feel better, um, about ourselves. But we can actually go within our own memories and and really feel those and kind of try and involve our senses to kind of go through those good feelings again, um, and celebrate our successes, like, no matter how small it is, um, and mm-hmm. just try and, I suppose that builds momentum and makes you feel better and takes you away from any potential stress or worries that you, that you have about what's coming up, so rather than worrying about that, go into um, some memories that you've had in recent times, and mm-hmm. I, thought was, I thought it was a really good bit of advice. Something That's that powerful stuff. I don't do I don't, how, how much
0: do you sit and you'll have a bad day? Or not necessarily have a bad day, but you have like a bad 10 minutes of your day because something might happen that's annoyed you or something didn't go well and then that's just on your mind a full day. You get through yeah. home at night and stuff and then you're still thinking about it and but actually there's
1: a lot of your day, day there's
0: loads of positives. Like I think of like some of the positive things it's actually that you've done that you've maybe had an impact on someone or you've done something nice for somebody. It's just trying to make the conscious
1: effort to go in there and pick them out and... Relive them, like you say. I think it's a conscious effort, as you say, um, it's difficult. But you need to put a lot of conscious thought it to to make it work.
0: Yeah. But it's too easy to go on and just have a wee jump into your Netflix account and get a wee series on and lose yourself in that. It's not necessarily
1: addressing it, is it? I think losing yourself in it is probably the best way to describe it. I think for me, that's that's an accurate representation of what that can bring you right so what about you then what's your
0: key takeaway message my key takeaway message from tonight would be in relation to the three hours approach that Kirsty spoke about in terms of the late rupture and repair and she put it really nicely to help me understand um how relationships and friendships and things like that can can become damaged because when we're relating she I think she said they can they can. Um, description the way she explained it was like me and you could be sitting chatting on the podcast having a good laugh or having a cup of tea or whatever it is Um, and then something could happen you could say something that makes me angry and then it ruptures and then we just like gloss over it, and we end up going back to relate without actually holding ourselves accountable for why we might have had the rupture in the first place like only don't our own behaviour as to why that actually happened what made us annoyed and using I language rather than you where we're actually trying to blame good. people and stuff like that, I thought that was a really good way of putting it and it's something that I can take into, take into my teaching as well um,
1: oh, Just it just makes,
0: it's like I, I feel like I do kind of already know that to a certain degree but just hearing it explained a different way I think helps no, it me. Really helps. Yeah, because you can hear all these things um going about, different terminologies, different um kind of strategies and approaches and sometimes it just takes someone to, to reword it in a different way to help you to help you understand it. So I think that was really helpful tonight.
1: Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. That was some really good stuff in there and I'm looking forward to listening to it back. And make sure oh
0: well you've you've got through the bit with the, the, the guided visualization. I was gonna say make sure you stay tuned and do the actual the visualization part, but if you've got this far then I'm sure you've done it. So that was a bit pointless.
1: Unless, unless you're one of those people who are listening and skips to the takeaway.
0: Yeah, then skip back um ten, fifteen minutes and go through the visualization thing. It's um it was it was really relaxing.
1: Yeah, I thought you were gonna fall asleep in that dark room of yours.
0: And I was just I was I was taking it serious. I was getting right in the right into my, my memories, so it was good. It was a bit really put a different spin on it tonight, didn't it? That was something that actually got us involved, got us participating in doing something. So that was
1: brilliant. It was a great feeling. Right, thanks again. We'll see you again next week for another episode of the We of Ripping. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast we hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast then why not leave us a review to let us know
0: how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Oboe podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.